All right, you are now listening to the unofficial number one Canucks podcast in Australia. Canucks speaking. Welcome into episode 29 of the Canucks Speakeasy podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, how's, uh, how's Canucks land looking out there right now? Yeah, it's looking a little dire, I would say, but, uh, you know, uh, we'll see. They're not out of it yet. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a half, half full, half empty kind of question to start things off. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Canucks Speak. Uh, you can follow me at Pete underscore gas. And give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. That's V-E-N-N. And as always, we got our ever-growing outro playlist on Spotify. Please give that a follow as well. And Pete, you and I are finally back in the same room recording. Yeah, I mean, California was nice. San Diego was great. But, you know, I missed you and needed to get on back to sunny Vancouver as well. well that's not what you were saying in the office this morning. Uh, I didn't think you could hear that. <laughs> so it's been... Yeah, the roller coaster continues. I believe, what are we, one win in our last six right now? Yeah, I believe I saw a stat. The Canucks are five wins, 16 losses in the last 21 games. It's five and 11 in the last 16. There we go. Yeah, it's uh, it's not not a pretty sight. Um, it's been a struggle. What did, what did you make of the game last night? It was frustrating because I thought that the Canucks... Once PD got that amazing goal, and hey, let's just take a moment to enjoy what an incredible goal it was. He literally willed a goal last night coming out of the play or the penalty box. Uh, I thought it was a great goal by PD, and you could tell he was really fired up. That's the first time I think in some time I've seen that kind of raw emotion come from PD after scoring a goal. It's just a shame that that energy and you know focus and determination by the Canucks wasn't for a full sixty minutes. That first period was a snoozer, man. Like, uh, I think they combined for nine shots in that first period. And then, crazily enough, the Blue Jackets ended up having nine shots in the first four minutes of the third period, nearly doubling the first two period shot totals. Yeah, that was something that kind of caught me off guard is how hard the Jackets came out there in the third. I thought that the Canucks, that was, they had some momentum for Petey. I thought that they would come out and take it to them. And I know a lot of us online were saying, hey, watch, this is going to be the Canucks comeback period. And uh, it just never really kind of got off the ground. Yeah, again, it, just as a whole, I feel like the Canucks have been very frustrating as of late. Uh, unfortunately, they just haven't been able to give full 60-minute efforts. Obviously, you know, injuries happen, but they happen to every single team. I believe the Blue Jackets going into last night's game have the lowest, the most man-lost games in the NHL. I think they had like nine guys on IR or something. It's 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 crazy what they have in Colorado even before that. They 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 were missing bodies too, including some pretty big guys in McCarr and Rantanen. Yeah. So I mean, injuries are a constant. I don't like to to use that as an excuse. I've I've always said that you've got to have depth. Um, and with that, one of the guys who's Injured, of course, is Jacob Markstrom. Uh, I want to kind of give Thatcher Demko some props for the way he's played this week. I thought he's actually been pretty solid. Yeah, I agree. I think the more games Demko has played since Markstrom's injury, the better he's looked. I thought he looked very good last night. The two goals that were scored against him were goals that were literally just snipes right from the slot of a guy that should have been, someone should have been on that guy, you know, taking that, their man, unfortunately. Those goals went past him. I don't blame him. I thought he looked good in the Colorado game as well. Uh, and Demko, like I said, I f- to me, he's always kind of been a goalie. In the brief amount of time we've got to see Demko play, 
He's a guy that seems to do better the more games and the more shots he gets. And a lot of goalies have been like that over the past. And he's been getting better starts as well. That's something. I mean, some of those goals were unfortunate in the early games, but I think it really helps if you can get at least through that first half of the period or so without allowing a goal or a weird bounce. Which, yeah, he he was lucky this past couple of games to not have a weird bounce. Like that one, I believe it was Arizona, where it like bounced off the back his back and went in from behind the net. Um, I agree, though. I thought Demko's played really well. I think Hughes was struggling for a little bit, but I thought the Colorado game, and especially last night, I thought Hughes had a really strong game. Unfortunately, he didn't, you know, register a point on the score sheet. Uh, I thought Gaudette has been playing really well as of late as well, but unfortunately the Canucks just aren't getting a result. One thing with Demko, I know I criticized some of his season stats in the last episode, but in the last three games, 272 goals against and a 914 save percentage, those are NHL numbers right there. Yeah, I agree. I know there was some scuttlebutt about people saying, oh, you know, Demko is barely an NHL goalie. Uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't agree with that take whatsoever. Um, I, I think right now the Canucks are in a little bit of a free fall and their backs are up against the wall. And you know what? This might be a good thing. You know, this might, I'm trying to stay relatively positive. This might galvanize the group. Um, one thing we still haven't touched on is Brock Besser is skating with the team again, and he participated in a full contact jersey yesterday. He obviously didn't play last night, but uh, speculation is he'll be playing by the weekend. And, you know, hopefully having their backs up against the wall, this could galvanize the team and they can go on a little bit of a run, but they need to be better. They need to play defensively better in their own end. And they need to, the power play has kind of been atrocious lately as well. Power play looked really messy against Columbus, I thought. They just break-ins, passes, forcing it through the lanes. Besser coming back also really solidifies the top six. And I think we're going to see, well, we better see the the top six that everyone wants once Besser comes back. Um, I would really, I think a lot of Canucks fans would be pretty angry if you still look out there and there's Louie on that number two line. But what do you think when Besser comes back? Do you go Besser with Miller Petey again and bring back the lotto line and then have the 70s line featuring Bo Horvat uh, as the second line? Uh, yes, I would definitely put Besser on the top line. I think Besser on the top line makes a little bit more sense. I, I believe uh, I did a hit uh, about a week ago on uh, the Orcapod, um, and I had said that I think you want Besser coming back and having as much confidence as he can coming back into the lineup. So you want to put him on that top line with Miller and Petey. Obviously, you know, he had chemistry with that line and he was producing it on that line maybe he wasn't scoring as many goals as Canuck fans have been used to seeing over the past couple of years but he still was producing and then the second line I think it makes more sense to put to Foley there because Green and again I understand what Green's trying to do but he's trying to use that second line as a matchup line against the opposing team's top line and I think to Foley is a better defensive forward than Besser is. So to me, it makes more sense to put Toffoli there. However, Besser has had great chemistry with Bo Horvat in the past, and we haven't ever seen them play together again, except for outside of that first year. So that could be an interesting dynamic as well. But coming back, I definitely want to see Besser on the top line and put Toffoli on the second unit with Horvat and Pearson. It's crazy. It's been nine games and we still haven't seen Toffoli with Pearson yet. I mean, I, I I think everyone's waiting for that and we just still haven't seen that yet. It's also worth noting that Toffoli has already put up as many goals as Tim Schaller did. 
Wow. That's that's a stat out there. You you should tweet that out. I may just. That's a tweet that it, I think will get a lot of mentions. It took him 42 less games to wow. do it as well. Um, the other thing I was going to ask you, Pete, what do you think should happen to the first unit power play when Besser comes back? Because I was saying this before Besser got injured that I honestly think Besser could actually help the second unit out. And, you know, his playmaking ability is a little bit better than I think people give him credit for at times. Obviously, he still coughs the puck up from time to time. And just having another guy on that second unit that can blast the puck, uh, I don't know. I, I would be looking at moving Bester to the second unit and keeping the first unit, even though they're struggling lately the way it is, and keeping Toffoli on that first unit. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I also like the idea of really kind of loading up of uh, the first unit. Um, I'm not... I, I don't disagree with that, though, and Besser and having his shot on the second unit. I think the second unit has actually looked better than the first a lot of times lately uh, with, with Jake and Pearson out there as well. Um, they have enough tools now, once Besser's back, to really play around with that that top 10 that gets into the unit. They only usually use three defensemen, so that's seven forwards, and you that's your top two lines in Jake Vertanen or Adam Gaudet in there as well, so... Lots of options. Um, Roussel has played well lately since he must have listened to the podcast last episode. <laughs> uh, we were telling him that, that he needs to get benched. Uh, he's had two goals in the last three games. He's playing a, a lot better. And, you know, JT Miller, again, leading scorer for us between podcasts, three points in three games. But right behind him, it's Pearson and McEwen with two goals in the three games. Um, there, there's definitely options out there. I don't know what to do with the, the first unit. I think uh, that... Miller, Petey, and Hughes, obviously, are the locks out there. Uh, after that, though, I think who goes well with those guys. I like having Horvat out there because it gives you two strong center options, which I think is really important. So I do kind of like Horvat, and that gives you one other piece. I think what they're missing right now is the big body. Um, I'd like to maybe see Jake out there. I'd even like to see Zach McEwen out there, and I think Zach McEwen has impressed the hell out of me uh, the last few games, and I've tweeted a couple times. I don't think he's going back down. Yeah, I mean, you would always like to see McEwen get a little bit more ice time because I do think, you know, the effort, especially the Colorado game, I mean, McEwen was the first star. He scored two goals. Both goals were beautiful shots. Um yeah, I get it. You know, a lot of times you see these coaches, you know, not trust these young guys when it comes late in games. I know when Bailey was up for a while, I thought Bailey looked good for a couple of games. And then by the third game Bailey was playing, he saw less than six minutes of ice time. Um, McEwen, I think, is slowly gaining Green's trust. And you did see last night a lot of the lines up in a blender. You had Louis started the game on the second line. He was on the fourth line at times. I believe there was actually one shift of Toffoli and Pearson playing together because hmm. I thought I remember uh, Cheech mentioning it on the broadcast. I, I thought it might have been one of those broken lines, though, because I think I saw been. that before in Colorado. There was something like that when it was a broken line. Yeah. But, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure on that. I will say, though, that Zach McEwen over the last three games is the only player averaging less than 10 minutes of ice time. He's actually closer to eight. And by putting that in comparison... Our buddy Louis Erickson, that he's averaging about three and a half minutes more of ice time a game. Yeah, I mean, the Louis, two more. Yeah, the Louis thing is it, it, it's very frustrating, and I can see why fans are starting to question Green's deployment of Erickson. Uh, a third line that I would like to see is maybe McEwen, Gaudet, and Vertanen. I think that line could, you know, yeah. wreak some havoc. Kids line. Yeah, absolutely. Um, whether or not we'll see that, who knows. Um, and then Sutter, again, I thought Sutter was looking good when he first came back. He's struggling lately, I feel like. And 
yeah, overall, I just think the Canucks kind of, they're overthinking a lot, especially in the offensive zone, and they're just going for an extra pass when they shouldn't. Uh, and again, the goddamn drop pass on the power play, oh, for Jesus. fuck's sakes, man. And it's not just the power play. It I know. just happens a lot. I, there's been a couple of times where they stop. It's a full stop between center and the offensive blue line and drop it back. And I just I just don't get it. This is something that I know we've talked about all season long. But they have speed. They're faster than previous years. They've got puck-moving defensemen. At least a couple of them are. Why Why are they doing this? I don't I don't get it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I thought... I, it just to me it kills all momentum you have as you're skating up the ice trying to you know get into the offensive zone. Um, it, it still boggles my mind. Uh, right now though, I, I do understand you know there is a bit of panic in Canucks Nation and Canucks Twitter at the moment. We're still in a playoff spot. Minnesota obviously is coming on red hot since they fired Bruce Boudreau. And to be fair, they were actually on a bit of a hot streak even before Bill Guerin fired Bruce Boudreau. So that's a little bit exciting. And for all you fantasy hockey fans out there, I got to kind of give a little bit of shit to Pete here. He's uh, given one of my uh, rivals in the office uh, hot tips to pick up Kevin Fiala. Thanks, Pete. Really appreciate that. Yes, sorry about that. I just, uh, I'm a giver. What can I say? I felt sorry. I saw... His, his little puppy eyes there, and he's like, well, you know, that Kevin Fiala, he's looked good against the Canucks a couple of times. It's not just the Wild either. Uh, the Canucks, of course, are tied with the Preds and the Jets. Arizona's in the rearview mirror as well. Chicago's fallen off a bit, uh, but, you know, they, a couple of a little hot streak, and they're right back in it. It's a logjam there, um, and we are still, right now, at the moment we're recording, it's Monday night. Uh, we haven't seen the results of uh, the Coyotes. What is Coyotes-Jets tonight, isn't it? I believe so. We haven't seen the results of that yet. So right now, they're still in a playoff spot. Uh, also, just going back to Zach McEwen, I wish one of, maybe he played center, and they could, we could have our own version of the 70s line again, right? Yeah. Uh, but, of course, we won't see that. They're all wingers out there, but that would have been kind of cool to see our own version of the 70s line as well. Can McEwen play center? I'm sure any of those guys yeah, could. It would enough. be a fun line to see. Uh, yeah. uh, that's for sure. Um, I, I'm pretty big on Zach McEwen right now. For a guy that they got as a overage free agent out of the OHL, I think uh, well, he's turned into a hell of a player. Yeah, I agree. Uh, forget who was that guy the Canucks drafted as an overager back in the Mike Gillis era. I think he was a. He played in the Quebec League, and uh, you know they thought oh, he was going to bring some sandpaper and some toughness. And he had scored fifty goals, you know, as an overager, and he literally just you know shat the bed when he uh, joined the Canucks. Um, yeah, and I mean it, those overagers, there's always risk involved. And I know a lot of people said uh, when they got McEwen that that was a waste of a roster spot, but it, hey, it's turned out pretty good. Who was the other guy who played in uh, Erie? With McDavid, remember the oh Fox Adam, not Adam Fox. It was uh, Dane Fox. Dane Fox. Yeah. That was it. Yeah, and again, like he had an amazing season with the Erie Otters. I believe he scored like fifty-eight goals or something ridiculous like that. And hey, I I fell for it. I was like, oh man, this guy could you know maybe be a, a total steal here. You know, late bloomer. Which obviously there are players throughout the course of history who are late bloomers. But uh, yeah, that was a giant dud. Yeah, Dane Fox. Um... But in his previous season, he was almost point a game. He had 36 and 37 for the Otters and uh, 22 and 28 for the Otters the year before that. But he bounced around in the O. He was in London. He was in Erie. Uh, and then, yeah, that one year, that's 107 points in 67 games, 64 of them goals. Wow. And you're like, well, look at this guy. Uh, went to Kalamazoo, had a season there, another season in Kalamazoo. And then uh, he's kind of fallen off in last 
tracks according to elite prospects he's playing over in germany right now oh well at least he's still playing he is his numbers are have definitely dropped a bit though but yeah he's still out there i do remember that because i thought whoa look at the canucks just got a 64 goldman in the o for nothing and, yeah uh, i think a lot of people kind of saw that with zach McEwen as well but uh i'm fully on the zach McEwen hype train i'd like to see more of him i i'm glad we didn't go out and get another winger that would have taken away from him. I'm glad we got to Foley. I like to Foley. And we talk with uh, Judd Brackett is underrated a bit about this later on. He's joining us for our interview this week as well. Yeah, sorry, we forgot to mention that in the intro there, uh, even though we had it on our uh, little whiteboard here to mention it. But uh, yeah, Judd Brackett is underrated. I'm sure all of you guys know who he is on Twitter. Uh, guy is a young, extremely knowledgeable fan. He'll be joining us in the next segment. And uh, make sure you give him a follow at Judd Brackett underscore one. What do you think, Doug, as well? We haven't talked about Captain Bo at all. Um, what do you think of Bo Horvat? I know a lot of people were making uh, a bit out of how JT Miller should be the captain. I know late in the game he was kind of directing traffic on the ice there. Um, what do you, what do you, th- I, I, I love Bo. I think he's our captain. He's, he's never been in this situation before. What do you think of everyone kind of going after Bo? Well, not everyone. There's a, a, a portion of the online community and the Canucks fans are going after Bo here. Yeah, I, again, I, I don't understand it, man. Like, I, 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 people like be like, oh, this guy just said that Thatcher Demko is not an NHL goalie, or this guy was saying that Bo Horvat shouldn't be the captain. Like, who are these fucking people? Like, I've never interacted with them. I, I my favorite thing to do is like someone mentions some random person on Twitter that says this ludicrous thing and then you go to click on their profile and nobody you follow is following them just goes to show you like why are we even engaging with these people are trying to say what they're saying is any relevance in the actual day-to-day canucks conversation people on twitter are having that being said you know i think what miller is doing is great i think you want that i think having miller as a guy who's been to the playoffs every year in his career as a guy that you know knows what it takes to get this team to the next step and to win that's good. And, you know, just because Bo Horvat's the captain doesn't mean he can't learn from other guys on his team. I think that's kind of a stupid thought process to think that, oh, look at what Miller's doing on the ice. Clearly, he's the leader and he's the captain of this team. No, that's not the case at all. Bo, as a good leader, is learning from somebody else who has more experience than he does. So you're saying that we shouldn't trust the guy whose friend's cousin sells hot dogs outside Rogers Arena yeah. and saw JT Miller and Bo Horvat not walking into the arena together so there's problems in the locker room exactly or or the the greeter at fucking costco who who you know wants to make sure you've got your membership card on you and sees that you have a canucks speakeasy podcast business card in your wallet he's like you know you know what i heard uh you should put this out there <laughs> yeah it's uh i i don't think there's any issues and uh, i i liked seeing what jt miller was doing and Bo learns and he's said that all along and he has taken a lot of ownership over this stretch as well and that is really tough for a young guy to do uh he is really shouldering a lot of the blame good on him um and we talked about a bit about travis green earlier and a uh, bit about his deployment what do you think about everything going on with green i know he hasn't addressed the media at some points and now with uh with everyone freaking out and buying toilet paper they they won't be going into the <laughs> locker room even more but what do you what do you think about Travis Green right now during this stretch? I look, I I will admit I have been a little bit frustrated with Green and his lack. And again, I'm not saying that, you know, in the locker room he isn't criticizing guys, but I've been a little bit frustrated with him not being a little bit harder on the team and some of the effort, especially when it comes to things like 
oh yeah, I thought we deserved better tonight, or I thought we played a, a, a good game. Sure, but again, results are results, and when you're not getting the results, I think, you know, and again, don't call your team out. Don't necessarily put guys on blast publicly. You know, you want to save that stuff for in the dressing room because I think your players respect you more as a coach when you do it as opposed to calling them out to the media. So I get that, but I don't think it's a bad thing for Green to say, no, today was a disappointing game and I thought we didn't have a full effort and these games matter. And I thought last night, if you listen to his presser last night, or his post-press conference last night after the game, he was a little bit more critical than he has been in, po- in recent games, and he seemed to be a little bit more careful, trying not to be too negative, and I get that. And I know people have talked about Green in the past, has mentioned how he thinks that his this current team has struggled with their confidence at times, and to just kind of lay on them is going to only ruin their confidence. You want to try to build them back up. And then obviously the big elephant in the room is the deployment of Louis Erickson. I think that is probably more of a hot button topic for most Canucks fans. And we get the standard answer about how it's the matchup game and all, all this, but yeah, I, I've said this before as well. Why don't we see Sutter if that's the case uh, yep. on that line as well? Or I think McEwen, I know he's, he's a young guy, but he's that physical force out there. I think he could really work as well. Uh, yeah, it's that, that's a big one for me. Um, I wonder if uh, a part of it as well is him just trying to, insulate and protect a bunch of his young guys by not going out there and and stoking the fire i mean vancouver media and fandom is pretty rabid at times i wonder if there's maybe an element of that to it yeah but i mean it's a young players league right like i I, you're seeing the the game being taken over by a younger and a younger generation guys like quinn hughes and kale mccarr and what they're doing in their rookie season as defensemen hasn't been done in nearly 20 years so right there, that's pretty pretty incredible. And, you know, even early in the year, and I get it, Green's still trying to build his uh, his confidence, a guy like Hughes, but the reluctancy to put Hughes directly on the first unit power play when you know this guy is your quarterback. Um, and then, you know, seeing guys like McEwen getting flashes of ice time when McEwen's going out of his way to earn those minutes and there's nothing Green can do. Uh, and the other thing I want to bring up with Green as well that, again, I find a little bit frustrating is... Oscar Fattenberg, I honestly thought Jordy Ben played a really good game last week against the Coyotes when Tyler Myers was hurt. And I thought, or pardon me, Jordy Ben deserved another look. And then they went right back to Fattenberg. And again, Fattenberg hasn't been awful. But I said this before, I definitely think he struggles getting the puck out of his own end. And that seems to be one of the Canucks' biggest detriments as of late. I, I really like Jordy Ben as well. I, I would, at the very least, rotate them in and out. Um, but I'd like to see... More Jordy Ben. Uh, you also mentioned it's a it's a young players league, and that's a nice lead into a couple of the prospects that we wanted to talk about and some of the positivity going on out there in the Canucks universe. And the first guy I want to talk about is a guy that I've been really high on since they drafted him is Jack Rathbone, and what he's doing right now. He's sixth in NCAA scoring uh, for defensemen right now, uh, and just playing a hell of a lot of ice time. And a lot of people worried about, we go back to the Foxes when, when Adam Fox left, that uh, th- that maybe we would see a decline with Rathbone, and he's taken it to another level. Well, I believe the last game, I think it was a friend of the show, Daniel G, uh, put out there that uh, Adam Fox had one goal and 10 shots on net in one of the last games. I, b- I believe it was a game that played either Saturday night or Sunday night uh, for Harvard, which is incredible. 10 shots on net from your defenseman. Yeah. He's got 31 points in 28 games. Yeah, over uh, a point a game player right now. 
He's looking very, very solid. He's, uh, yeah, just over a point. I believe his point per game. And Ken Robinson, uh, who you can follow at hockey underscore Robinson, if you don't already, put out a great tweet uh, about this, about how he's sixth in total points, third in points per game, and second in shots per game, which I think is a really interesting one. He's averaging over three shots a game. That's for uh, defensemen? For defensemen. Yep. All those are for defensemen okay. in the NCAA. But that's pretty That's pretty interesting. Like uh, I, I've seen Jack Rathbone play a bit. Um, I've never given him as much credit for being a shooter as he actually is, though. Uh, but Jack Rathbone in, over in Harvard, he is he's really doing something, I think, over there and really working his way up our blue line depth chart. And then the other guy, uh, Vasily Podkolzin, who's gone from kind of being a, a who and a what to being a young stud over in the KHL. Yeah, I mean, last time I checked, I, I know uh, his KHL team just swept uh, the team they were playing in the playoffs. Uh, Podkolzin had three points in four games, uh, which for an 18-year-old, or maybe has he, turned, has he even turned 19 yet? I believe he is 19 now. I believe he's he's on the fringe. I know that. But anyways, having three points in the four games as a, a as young of a player as he is in a league that generally does not play young players, it's definitely a veterans league over there. Uh, is extremely impressive. And you know the way he ended the season, where I believe he had what was it like ten points in his last twelve games, or maybe it wasn't that much, but it was like eight points in his last twelve games or something like that. Pod Colson's really st- started to find you know, his game in the K. And if you've watched any uh, of his St. Petersburg games as well, you can see him. The guy is always, and I I try to avoid using this comparison because A, it's a lot of pressure, and B, it's just maybe it's partially because they're Russian. But the way he skates and plays reminds me of of Genny Malkin at that age. Yeah. And he's got this kind of different stride. He plays like a bit of a battering ram, but he is all over the ice in that forecheck. I love how he's like that. It's it's very unique for a Russian player to play kind of the style that he plays. Um, I'm I was really excited when we took him because I didn't think the Canucks would have the balls to take him. I agree. And it was a you know it was a bit of a rough lead up up to the World Juniors. He had a decent enough Juniors, but I keep saying it. Watch him at the Juniors next year. Holy crow! I think this this guy is going to dominate. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and Malkin or sorry, Malkin I think is a very good comparison obviously they play different positions one's a center and one's a winger but Malkin I know everyone talks about Ovechkin and being how physical he is but Malkin I feel like is a very physical player as well and his physicality kind of doesn't get talked about enough uh, in my opinion and yeah I mean what Paul Colson's doing right now for St. Petersburg I think a lot of Canucks fans should be extremely excited for he's still 18 six foot 190 pounds playing in a men's league uh, he's playing playoff hockey effectively, three points in four games, as you mentioned, in uh, the KHL. Uh, he's got another season in the KHL, another World Juniors, and then he's going to come over to Vancouver. And you're, we're going to get this kid uh, in our top nine, and I'm extremely excited about that. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Should we get into some tweets here and get into chirping? Let's do it. All right, Doug. So first tweet I've got for you. Uh, most people out there in Canucks land will know who this guy is. Dan Riccio. You can follow him at Dan Riccio 650 He says, this is a bit of a downer one, but the Red Wings are the only team with fewer points than the Canucks since the start of February. Yeah, I, I saw this uh, making the rounds on Twitter today as well, or maybe it was last night. Yeah, I mean, I guess that is alarming. Um, alarming indeed, Gino. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I guess that is kind of alarming. Uh, it is correlated uh, almost to the Brock Besser injury 
And I think, you know, we're really realizing how much this team misses Besser. Obviously, Markstrom's a big deal as well. But when Besser went down, that's kind of when this team started to go on this long slide. It's been on. Besser was injured February 8th. Yesterday was March 8th. So it's been exactly one month. Um, so I do think having Besser back in the lineup hopefully will rejuvenate this team. And yeah, I mean, hopefully they can end this uh, losing skid. I don't think enough people realize how much losing a top six forward like him really does hurt the team. I think you're right. Yep. Uh, all right. My first chirp of the segment goes to Sarah Laug. Uh, you can give her a follow at Nuxed. This season isn't over yet. There's time yet. And yes, I know the hashtag Canucks are in control of their destiny, destiny, but this season is a massive step forward from recent years. Do games like this one frustrate me? Obviously talking about last night's game. Uh, yes, but when was the last time games meant this much over five years ago? Yeah, and for sure. And it's more fun to talk about this and be in this than to weigh our odds of getting a first overall pick and then falling and, and throwing a temper tantrum. I think that this is kind of where I thought the Canucks would be right now is battling for an eight spot. I always thought they're kind of in there and that's exactly what they're doing right now. It is more fun to watch games, even though it's frustrating. And it, it, when you lose the games and you don't have a great game like you do against Columbus, but you did have a good game against Colorado. So it, it's, it's an emotional roller coaster. but Hey, you know what? This is, where I want the team to be. I want them to be fighting for the playoffs. And you know what? If we don't make it, then we can talk about draft and we have another prospect coming in. We're It's kind of, you know, give credit to management here for actually creating scenario where either way it benefits Canucks fans, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, the fact that we're playing meaningful games this late in the season, I don't think, uh, to Sarah's point, I don't think we've played meaningful games this late in the season for five years. Five years. Yeah, man. It's been a long time. And I, for one, like I said, I want this team to win. Um, I, I want to see us play meaningful games down the stretch. And regardless of anything, whether we make it or not, this is a great learning curve for some of these young guys that we got on the team. My second one uh, is from one of my favorite Twitter names out there, Burray's Rollerblades. I got I got that hockey card somewhere too. As do I. Yeah, it's, it's a great one. You can follow him at Burray's Blades. He says, and it's kind of in line with what we were just talking about, he says, I want playoffs as much as the next guy, but half glass full would be okay to have a first rounder this season. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Everyone who is, you know, in the scouting industry saying this is one of the deeper drafts in years and you should be able to get, you know, top you know, top talent within the first 32 to, I believe, 40 picks. Uh, there's some really good players in this draft. I would like to see the Canucks go for another defenseman, obviously, depending on who's available. I haven't looked too much in the draft. Obviously, we know Quentin Byfield, Alexei Lafreniere. Um, there's uh, the Raymond kid, the Swedish kid Raymond. The Jack Quinn. Uh, Quinn Stutzel, the German kid. So there's yeah. some good names there. But yeah, uh, I, I got to research it more. I've been avoiding doing it because I'm like, you know, I want to invest in the team right now. Absolutely. And then, then if we miss, then I can kind of look in the draft. But yeah, and again, I know, you know, Team Tank is, you know, ready to move on. Uh, and I'm not saying, you know, I'm for Team Tank or anything like that. But if we do miss the playoffs, that's a nice consolation prize in my mind. Yeah, for sure. All right. And my final chirp of the day. And before I read it out, I just want to ensure that this isn't your burner account, Pete. Uh, you guys will never find my burner account. Anyways, uh, the chirper is Peter. Just simply Peter. Good name. And uh, you can follow him at Pete is neat. And he says, probably an unpopular opinion, 
but I think Jake is perfect as a player who floats up and down the lineup. It's a good role for him, and look at the success he's doing. He's had doing it. I I do agree with that. I think he's becoming a bit of an underrated utility player. Um, I, I think some aspects of his defensive game need a little more love, but he's hitting a lot. I don't think we talk about that enough. His speed is noticeable, and he's developed a bit of a scoring touch. I mean, I think we're going to see him hit 20 goals this year. And uh, I think he is a very useful player to have on this team. And if you get him at a reasonable cap hit this offseason, I think he's going to be a key part in making this team go to the next level. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I'm going to give a shout out to Ray Ferraro because I remember Ray Ferraro Ferraro a few years ago said that he thinks Jake Vertanen will be like a Yannick Hansen. And I think, honestly, at the time, I think a lot of Canucks fans were like, what? Like, if he's a Yannick Hansen, he's a total bust. But I think Yannick Hansen was that exactly what Peter's describing, a guy who played up and down your lineup and had success doing it. And uh, Yannick Hansen, I mean, he was at the Sedin's game as well. I mean, it's a ton of credit to a guy who is very underrated and a very good utility player. Jake Furtan is fourth on the team in hits right now. Uh, JT Miller leads the team because he leads the team in everything. Yeah. Uh, Tyler Mott is second and Alex Edler's third. Uh, but Jake is doing a lot of things right. 18 goals. Uh, he's got his champagne number right now. I think he'll hit 20. Um, yeah, I really like what Jake is doing and, and where you can fit him in the lineup. He's looked good uh, in a lot of places this year. And again, JT Miller effect on him as well. I agree. Uh, let's get Judd Brackett is underrated on the line here. Let's do it. And joining us now is Judd Brackett is underrated. You can give him a follow at Jug, Judd Brackett underscore one. Judd, thanks for joining Pete and I on the Speakeasy podcast. Anytime, boys. Thanks for having me. It's great to be on. Uh. So let's just jump into it. Uh, if you want to talk a little bit about uh, how you became a Canucks fan and your first kind of big memory of your Canucks fandom and where it all started. Yeah, so I'm only 15 years old, so I'm obviously a pretty young fan. It started around grade one. I remember during the Stanley Cup run, the whole city was going crazy. I remember seeing on TV three different areas outside where fans were all celebrating and stuff. And I also remember uh, the Burroughs overtime goal in Game 2, which was really my first memory. Ever since then, i kind of becoming kind of, kind of been becoming a bigger fan slowly and slowly. And it kind of really, really started uh, in that 2015 series against the Flames. I saw the team go to the playoffs, and it was really exciting. Then we drafted Brock and stuff, and his rookie season was phenomenal, and that's when I really got hooked. Nice. Uh, do you have a favorite player from that Sedin era team? Oh, that's pretty early, but if I had to choose, it would probably be the Sedins. Those are obviously the first players you grow, you, uh, grow up knowing. In elementary school, everyone's all the Sedins, Sedins, and then you see all the donations and stuff they make, how talented they are. If there's anyone, it's got to be those guys. Judd, you're like one of the uh, the top prospects that we've called up for uh, for the podcast today. I think you're the youngest person we've had on, uh, but you're a very knowledgeable Canucks fan, and you're a great follow on Twitter. I also wanted to just touch on your name, because it is obviously a very unique name out there. What is it that made you choose Judd? Well, as a fan, all I want to see is some exciting hockey, right? That's all I want. What Judd Brackett and his team has done has given me that. Judd Brackett has obviously played a part 
in the amateur scouting staff in a big way is he's a director. So you have all these young guys coming in. Brock, Petey are the main ones. Quinn Hughes. Brock and Petey are both from college too. So you know he's got some ties there. Even in the later rounds with the Jet Wu, you could see in the draft in the mic up video that uh, he really wanted Wu. And then you have other uh, low-key guys like Aiden McDonough, who he finds. Even Tyler Madden. I know he's not here anymore. I really wish he was. I was a big Tyler Madden fan. But Judd Brackett has played such a crucial part in bringing excitement to this organization again. And that's kind of where it all started, you know? Those are all great points. I, I really miss those mic'd up videos. I was actually saying to Pete, because uh, Pete and I went to the draft this year, or last year, pardon me, because it was held in Vancouver. And I was really disappointed that they didn't do a mic'd up video, especially with the draft yeah. being in Vancouver. Yeah, me too. Hey, it, it's such a miss, miss. They missed out on such a great opportunity. You know what I mean? I mean, it's the 50th year. You got the draft in your city, and you got a top 10 pick, and they don't even put a mic on Benny. It's ah. Uh, it, it still makes me mad to this day, and it's always going to make me mad. But <laughs> oh man, <laughs> you, you mentioned Tyler Madden in there. What are your thoughts on that trade so far? So far, I like it. The Foley has come in. He's going to be a top six player going forward. And in terms of value, like forget like where the Canucks are in this quote unquote rebuild, or like whether they should be giving up picks and prospects or not. But in terms of value, I think it's fair. A second-round pick in Tyler Madden. Madden, personally, I think he's going to come in and be a solid third-line skilled guy in the NHL. And who knows what the second-round pick. But then in Toffoli, you're getting a solid top-six player, a guy who could perform for another four or five years. But the thing is, if you don't get Toffoli re-signed this offseason, you lose that trade. Unless we win the Stanley Cup this year. Which, I mean... I hope we go on a miracle run or something, but if we're being realistic here, that's not going to happen. If you could get to fully signed past this season, I think I'm going to be a really, really big fan of this trade. Well, the window is just opening for the team. I think, uh, I mean, I don't know if we're last year's St. Louis Blues this year. I mean, I'll take it if we are. But do you think re-signing Tyler to Foley right now is a top priority for the organization this offseason? I do think it is a top priority. The top two players they want, they probably should get signed uh, right after Markstrom. So if you had to choose between Toffoli or Tanev, I'm guessing you would think Toffoli? Yeah, for sure. And your team Markstrom as well. Eh? Markstrom is the, the starter for the next few years? Yep. So what about Chris Tanev then? How does he fit into this whole puzzle? Listen, man, I love Chris Tanev. I love what he's brought to this team for a decade. He's broken bones, had teeth knocked out. Poor guy. You see the game the other day in the post-game interview with Murph? He was hanging on by an e- Like, he had scotch tape holding his ear together, man. Like, Chris Tanev, he's such a team player, and I love what he's done. But the thing is, he's 30 years old, and he's a UFA. Unrestricted free agents, they get paid, especially with Tanev's pedigree. He's 30 years old. You're probably looking at a four-year deal. I think he makes 5.5 right now. In his next deal, he's going to get $6 million. Four years, $6 million is my prediction for wherever he goes in free agency. You just can't make it fit under this salary cap. You cannot. I mean, I know there's going to be a raise and stuff, but Tana's going to be expensive. He's going to be very, very expensive, 
and the Vancouver Canucks are in no position to be able to pay, be able to pay that amount. Yeah, uh, Tanev currently is actually making four and a half million dollars, but I do oh, agree with you, Judd. I do agree with you, Judd. Though I do think a team will easily pay him six million per with his pending UFA. So I, I, I think you're right. I, I don't know if the Canucks are going to have enough cap space to re-sign him. So let's jump into the cap space topic. Do you think there's anything the Canucks management can do creatively to maybe shed some of these, you know, anchor contracts that are weighing them down at the moment? I don't know. The only thing that comes to mind is to give up some assets, some picks, but I really don't want to do that, especially, yes, I, look, I love JT Miller. I love what he's brought to this team, but a first and a third round pick is a hefty price. Is it worth it? In my opinion, yes. As of right now, it is worth it. But you've already given up a first and a third. You give up, you've given up a second and a prospect in Tyler Madden to get to Foley. So do you really want to give up any more assets just to unload contracts? It's tough to unload contracts these days. Jim Benning tried really, really hard at this year's deadline to get rid of Berkey, but he couldn't do it, you know? So, I mean, I think you just got to wait it out eventually. I mean, that sucks and stuff, but oh well. Do you think there's any sort of market out there for Sven Berchi? Um, currently, no. Maybe when uh, after July 1st, when he's only got one year left. Well, he, like $3 million and playing in the minors, like not an ideal situation whatsoever. So unless the team sees like NHL potential, maybe we could move him if we take on like a little bit of salary back or give up a sweetener. But I really don't see it happening. Maybe it's the draft or something. Is he the most movable of these kind of anchor contracts that we have? I mean, Louis obviously in that boat. I know Brandon Sutter's name comes up a lot. Uh, is he the one that you think we'd be most likely to move? I think so, yeah. I mean, there's also like Jay Beagle, but he's got like some hefty term on his contract. He is playing in the NHL, but that would be risky for teams to go after him. So I do think Sven, Sven Berkey uh, is most likely to go. I know uh, the NHL uh, commissioner and the deputy uh, chief officer there, Bill Daly, announced that they think the cap could go up anywhere between 84 and 88 million. Obviously, 88 being a little bit on the high side. But, you know, if the cap does go up a significant amount, more than teams are at least expecting it to come July 1st, may, there's a possibility that the Canucks could be in a decent spot to maybe resign a Toffoli, Tanov, and perhaps Markstrom as well. But are you a little bit worried with Markstrom and how valuable he has been with the Canucks, and especially the, coming down the stretch here with the keys being turned over to Demko, that Markstrom could be demanding anywhere between seven and a half and eight million? I mean, can the Canucks really afford to sign him if I'm that's his honest. demand? I'm going to be honest. I'm super worried about Markstrom. He is going to get paid this this off season. You look at all the advanced goalie numbers, he's the best goalie in the league. He's saved like 22 goals or something like that, more than the average, and he's stolen like eight wins. Those are like elite-level Vesna numbers, and his agent is going to use those against Jim Benning to make sure his client gets paid, and that is a scary thought with our cap situation coming up. What do you think about the RFA situation that we have on this team? So there's quite a few interesting players that we got, Jake Furtanen, and Adam Gaudet among them. Do you have any idea of where you think those guys' value is worth? I think they've both had a very much improved years this year. 
Um, but what do you think is a realistic hits for those guys? Burkannon has definitely taken a step. I'm happy about that. Shotgun Jake. Um, I can't shotgun yet, but I'll, I'll get there one day. Um, but Verkanen, he's an RFA, and he took a really big step this year. He is going to get a raise. Uh, he makes, like I think, $2 million right now. He's going to get at least 3.5 in free agency, in my, in my opinion. And yeah, you, you look at it, 1.5, oh, it's not that big of a jump. But in reality, it is that big of a jump when you're like this close to the cap and stuff. And then you've got Stetcher, which is a whole other situation. Stetcher, let's be real. I, I like the guy. Local kid from Richmond. But he's got arbitration, right? He's going to make around 3 to $4 million in free agency with some term. And is that something you really, really want to be paying for a, for a five, six guy? Four at best? I don't know if that's uh, something they're willing to do. I mean... I think they will do it because I don't see us keeping Tanev at all. So I think you're, you kind of have to keep Stetcher. And then you have uh, Gaudet. Gaudet is actually uh, kind of special because he's a 10.2 C player, if I'm not mistaken. So something about him being an RFA, but he also doesn't have arbitration rights. So that puts the team in a really good position. Hopefully we could get some term lockdown on Gaudet at a reasonable cap hit. That would be, that'd be pretty nice. You're, you're right on about the 10.2C, and I don't understand much about that, but I believe it's something to do, to do with the uh, NCAA rights that, uh, that these guys have when they, they come over. Um, so you've, you've talked about Stetcher and Tanev. If those guys walk out the door, what happens with the blue line? I've been pretty critical of our blue line and the way they move the puck and break out a lot this year. But what do you think, if, if those guys leave, what are the options for the Canucks moving forward on D? First thing that comes to mind is Rafferty. I don't know if he's like ready to step into like a major role yet, but he's had a very, very, very good season down in Utica. If I'm not mistaken, he just broke the all-time Comets defenseman scoring record, so uh, that's pretty exciting. Maybe they would also have to go out and sign like another like cheap right-handed D-man in free agency or something like that. What do you think about Olio Levy on the team next year? Uh, I hope it works out. I mean, I'm not a Utica expert, but listening to guys like Corey Hergott, shout out. I love Corey. Um, I don't know if Yolevi is ready yet. I mean, he's had problems with his knee and stuff. I think he's currently out with, like, hip soreness. Apparently, like, defending, defending off the rush, he's, like, not that quick to pivot. So... I don't know what's up with him. I hope he takes a huge step this summer and is able to come in and kind of be the third-pairing guy on the left side. But we'll see what happens. It's going to be a tough situation with him. The other guy that I think a lot of Canucks fans are curious about is Nikita Triampkin and whether or not he'll come back over to North America at the end of uh, the KHL season. What are your thoughts about Triampkin rejoining the team? And do you think he'll be able to make an impact with the Canucks after spending the last two and a half, three years in the K? It's definitely an interesting thought. Personally, I don't think Tramkin is going to come over. He's played solid minutes in a solid top four role in the KHL. He was like really bad there in the beginning, but he's progressively gotten better. But at the same time, there's players on the Canucks depth chart who are just as good, if not better, than Tramkin. And Tramkin, like, he's already playing professional hockey, so he's not going to come come to North America to play in Utica in the minors. He's going to want a solid a solid spot on the roster to play consistent, like, 
middle pairing minutes. And to be honest, I, I don't think it's going to happen. Like, if they are going to negotiate at the end of the year, it's going to be a quick negotiation. Because as soon as Canucks management says a two-way contract, Trampkin and his agent are going to bolt straight back to Russia. So I, I don't I don't think Trampkin coming is that much of a possibility. Another guy you mentioned earlier in the podcast uh, that your boy Judd Brackett was really high on was uh, Jet Wu. Do you think Jet Wu can potentially surprise Canucks coaching staff next training camp? And uh, do you think Jet Wu can come in next training camp and surprise the coaching staff and potentially fight for a roster spot? I really hope so, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think Jet Wu is the type of player where you need time to develop time to develop he's a defenseman smooth smooth skating hard hitting but at the same time you you can't rush guys like Wu. i think he's going to go into utica maybe go through like the lind and gadjevich treatment maybe get scratched a bit and then everyone's going to lose their minds and then come in the next year and play solid top four minutes in utica but as of right now i think Wu is like at least two years away but i am really excited for him uh, when is the last time Canucks Twitter and fans ever lost their mind? I mean, that that doesn't happen too oh, often, that, does it? <laughs> that happens on a daily basis. <laughs> um, speaking of Wu, I'm going to stick with uh, second-round picks and uh, one that we are all very excited about over in Sweden, uh, Niels Hoglander. What do you think is a realistic timeline for him? There's been some people who thought he could make a push for it next year. What do you think is uh, his plan for the next season or two? I think he's coming in two years, and I am... So, so excited about Niels Hoglander. One of those reasons is because I feel like he trusts the process. I've heard interviews of him where he's saying, oh, yeah, maybe I'll spend a year in Sweden then come to the AHL next year and then go to the NHL. But, like, I'll, I'll talk with my, like, advisors and stuff. When I see a prospect who's willing to, especially from, over, from overseas, who's willing to take the time to develop in the AHL, that is a very, very, very good sign of a prospect who is willing to put in the work to become the best player they can be. And that is exactly what I think Neil Hoglander is, is going to do, and I'm so excited for him. So do you have him and Pod Coulson coming over the same year? Uh, yeah, I do. Jeez, that would be pretty exciting, wouldn't it? That would be uh, some serious fun on the top nine. Our wing depth is going to be so full. <laughs> So going back to what we're currently watching in Vancouver is uh, the Canucks are going through a very difficult stretch here. It's been feels like it's been a month or so that we've been enduring this. What is your gut telling you right now about how this season ends? Oh, man, look, ever since the end of last year, I've been trying to decide, are the Canucks going to make the playoffs this year or are they not going to make the playoffs this year? And I am telling you right now, it's been bugging me for so long and I still don't know the answer. Like it's it's so close right now. Like as we're recording this, if Arizona wins in regulation, I think the Canucks stay in a playoff spot. But like any other result between the Arizona Winnipeg game, they drop below the playoff bar. So it's so close right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think the magic number that a lot of people on Twitter were throwing around today was 18, that the Canucks need to get 18 points in their next 14 games in order to solidify a playoff spot. And obviously, you know, the Canucks keep losing in regulation, so they're not even getting these loser points, which is really frustrating. Um, do you think that 
the Markstrom injury is pretty much the reason why the Canucks are in a free fall at the moment? Or do you think it's much bigger issues that are starting to come to the forefront? I don't want to say Markstrom is the reason, but he's definitely a very, very big reason. There were a couple of defensive collapses in the last game where Columbus scored two goals in a very dull game until Pedersen came out flying and scored that wicked goal. That was amazing. But the Markstrom injury definitely hurts, and it it hurts a lot. I don't know. I think for me personally, the Markstrom thing, uh, that's... That was a, a blow to an already kind of wounded team. Markstrom, I mean, even if it's just one goal a game that he prevents, that kind of changes the complexion of a lot of these. And, you know, Doug, you mentioned loser points in there. Instead of losing 2-1 games in regulation, even if you just take those extra points, that, that makes a world of difference. So it, it is a tough combination. But, hey, look, every team has injuries. Columbus has injuries. Colorado has injuries. I think this is just, just part of it. So... What do you think, then? I'm going to put you on the spot. Are they in the playoffs this year? Oh, I'm going to get some hate for this, but they missed by a point. By one point. Well, what do you think, then? I mean, this is something that I don't think a lot of people have talked about, is that kind of, either way, we make the playoffs, we're happy, we miss out on the playoffs, all of a sudden we have that first-round pick back again. Uh, That's a bit of consolation, though, isn't it? All of a sudden you're looking at a top-15 pick. Hey, we could look at it as a win-win situation if we want to, you know what I mean? But, yeah, I, I think that pick is going to be uh, pretty important for us. I think it could be, depending on who we draft. I mean, I haven't looked into this draft class too deep. But depending on who we draft, they could be the final piece to the puzzle into building a cup contender, which is obviously the goal. Who knows if it'll happen? I hope so. But missing the playoffs definitely would not be uh, as, bad, as, bad as, as bad as it normally would. I also think uh, Brock Besser, since he's gone down, the Canucks have actually really struggled. And I believe they're 5-16 and 16 in their last 21 games. And that almost correlates perfectly with when Besser went down. I believe Besser got hurt exactly one month ago yesterday, which would have been February 8th. And in that time, uh, the Canucks seem to have really struggled. Do you think uh, the Canucks are really missing Brock Besser? And, you know, do you think he could really help them? I know you just predicted that they're not making the playoffs. But do you think he him rejoining the team late in the season can really help them propel them maybe back into a playoff spot, potentially? I think it will. And there's one main reason for that. Besser will move to the top line, hopefully, with Miller and Pedersen. Toffoli will slide down with Pearson and Horvat, And hopefully, hopefully, Little Things Louie will finally get out of the top six. Oh my god, he does not belong there, I tell you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't think Louie Erickson should be in the top six? absolutely not it makes me so mad every time i see that it makes me mad too i would rather see zach McEwen or just about anybody jake for tannin uh, uh yeah it's i i it's driving me nuts as well he's uh j- just not doing a lot i understand what green is trying to do but the thing is is like is it even working i mean we've lost five of our last six so i don't know at this point Judd, just some final thoughts from you now. Uh, just anything else about the team? Anything else you want to get off your chest? I hope Judd Brackett resigns this summer. Oh my goodness, I'm so scared. That's a that's a pretty stellar way to end that. Uh, you can that's find all I gotta say. <laughs> you can find Judd Brackett is underrated on Twitter at Judd Brackett underscore one. Judd, thanks for getting a call up to the big leagues today and joining us on the podcast. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. I had a blast.
All right, I'm just going to kick off my free pour segment here, which is talking about International Women's Day yesterday and the great job that everyone did on Sportsnet. I thought uh, I thought the whole broadcast with the, the Flames and Knights was done really, really well. Uh, Leah Hextel, Cassie Campbell, Pascal, and Christine Simpson calling the game. I, I thought they all did a fantastic job, and it was an all-female production crew as well. Uh, it's great to see more of this uh i've seen stats that 40 percent of hockey fans are female now which is also awesome i mean the women's game in general is is just made tremendous strides it's unfortunate that the tournament got canceled this week though but that's for powers outside of control and i don't want to get into my whole thoughts on that but uh, <laughs> uh but anyway it's just great job um I, I hope people don't look at this as a novelty i think uh i hope people look at this as just uh just really excellent broadcast job and that we're going to see more and more of this. I want to see more of this. Uh, I, I don't care who calls the game as long as you call it well and as long as you're not Jack Edwards. Uh, I'd much rather have any of these people <laughs> instead of Jack Edwards calling the game, that's for sure. Uh, but well done to Sportsnet, well done to everyone involved from the production crew uh, to the women calling the game. I thought uh, I thought it was done really well. Yeah, I agree. Hats off to the NHL and Sportsnet for uh, making that happen, and let's uh, make this more of a re- regular, uh, regular viewing than you know a random thing happening on uh, International Women's Day. Um, for my free pour, I would like to talk about an unsung hero on the Canucks' current roster, and to me that is Tyler Mott. I believe Tyler Mott has been unbelievable for the Canucks these past month or two. As a fourth liner, the guy's banging and crashing, blocking shots. Uh, I, I He's a guy I honestly want the Canucks to definitely re-sign on their fourth line. Obviously, fourth line guys aren't who you win with, but Tyler Mott, in my opinion, deserves a contract extension. And I think the Thomas Vanek trade looks like a giant win at the moment with Tyler Mott and what he's been doing for this team. And I think more fans should be talking about Tyler Mott's play. Yeah, might be the best four-checker on the team, man. I, I totally agree. I'd love to see him back in a fourth-line role next year. I agree. That pretty much wraps up episode 29 of Canucks Speakeasy. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening, and thanks to Judd Brackett is underrated for joining Pete and I tonight. Uh, make sure if you're not already to give Judd a follow at Judd Brackett underscore one on Twitter. Uh, give the podcast a follow at Canucks Speak. And you can also follow me at Doug Venn. That's V-E-N-N. And I just wanted to thank our buddy Ozzy Luke for being in the room and giving us a nice little plug there uh, for the podcast down under. We appreciate that. Uh, you can follow me at Pete underscore gas and give the Spotify playlist a follow. That's the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. All the funky jams going on there, including this one. Uh, Doug, any thoughts uh, for the upcoming week here? What can you tell the Canucks universe? Uh, I don't have any specific thoughts. Uh, I will say this. It's going to be must-watch television uh, with the games coming up. And regardless of the Canucks and their lack of success over the 50 years of them being in the league, you can't tell me it has not been entertaining. Yeah, I, I think so too. It's been, uh, it's been fun to watch. It's been tough to watch, but... Hey, meaningful games. We got the Islanders coming up here tomorrow night. Uh, every game is important, and really, that's what you want as a fan. So 
let's enjoy this emotional roller coaster. Yeah, another team that's got their back up against the wall, so we'll see who comes out on top. Indeed. Uh, yeah, episode 29, that's a wrap. That's for the way. Okay, so if I talk now, is that the right volume? Yeah, that'll work. Okay. Uh, so that was a cracker of a game. And they give us one if it was uh, uh, a shitty game. That was horrible. That was just shit ass. <laughs> All right, do do them again, but do them with a little more a little more oomph to it. Okay, that's because I'm hungover. Yeah. Um, shit, now I've got to remember what I was saying then. The, that was a cracker. Luke, oh, yeah. how was the game last night? That was a cracker of a game. How, how shitty was the game last night? Absolutely shit house. They played horrible. <laughs> All right.